Welcome to Where Will You Go, the FBC Telehoma Missions podcast, where we ask our members and our listeners the simple question, where will you go as we seek to advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God from here to the least reached peoples on planet Earth? Today, I have in the pod a friend of mine by the name of Trevor Johnson. He's been a missionary overseas for a couple of decades now, and he is here to tell us just a little bit about his story. I hope you'll stick around hear from Trevor. Well, Trevor, welcome to the pod today. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Trevor, why don't you tell us who you are, tell us a little bit about your family, and uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, I'm 46, been married 22 years, have four kids, two of the girls. Uh, They were born in Indonesia, the two boys here in the States. And uh, we left for the first time to Papua, Indonesia in 2004. And we came off the field in 2018 due to some pretty drastic illness. And, but the ministry lives on, and I'm stateside now recovering and visiting churches. Okay. So Papua, Indonesia, um, of all places, it's not, it's not the Indonesia that most people think of when they think of Indonesia. They, they probably get Papua, Indonesia and Papua New Guinea confused, I would guess, in their minds because they're on the same island, and Papua Indonesia is on the west side. Is that correct, or the east? The left side. The left side. <laughs> so Papua Indonesia is on the left side. Papua New Guinea is on the right side. Yes. But they're but they're similar in terrain. Um, what what led you, of all places, to go to Papua Indonesia to the people you went to? Uh, to, to minister the gospel, what drove you there? What was it that led to that decision? Well, I grew up in the country. My dad taught me how to shoot, uh, hunted a lot, hiked a lot, canoed a lot, loved the outdoors, was not really a fan of church culture, but the Lord saved me. I loved Jesus. I wanted to serve him, and uh, God was gracious enough to allow me to hike and canoe for him. So what could be better? So it's interesting how God uses those things that seem so unspiritual in their in themselves of canoeing, hiking, growing up in the <clears> country <throat> to really shape who you are and where you go in life to a place where you have to hike, a place where you have to canoe, a place yeah. where you have to live in the rural area. Yeah, God is sovereign over our childhoods as well, right? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't waste our experiences. That's a that's an amazing concept to think about. So you were there for roughly two decades. You, you uh, came home in 2018, is that right? Or, or left left the country in 20, 2018? Yes. And, um, you know, obviously that you mentioned some health concerns there, but through those years there were some high points. There were some things at the mountaintops, so to speak. Share with us a few of those mountaintop uh, experiences you look back to that are some really great positives that you can think of. Yeah. Um, well, sometimes those mountaintops are – they seem always to be linked to the valleys. It almost always seems like after a period of rough trial or things we have to endure with gritted teeth, God seems to grant fruit right after. And I think there's probably a lesson in that. Um, so there, in on earth, there are a few unadulterated joys are always mixed with sorrow and grief. Um, but we have had high points, and just last month, the first young man I baptized just graduated Bible school to go back to Donawagi Village and shepherd the sheep there. 
And that's always, that was always our end goal. That was always uh, what we had aimed for is to see believers, but not only believers, but to see Korowai shepherds leading Korowai sheep, to see an indigenous church planted. And we've seen that happen. So the first baptism you actually administered has now graduated Bible school. So he went into the city to go to Bible school. Yes. He's come back to the village and he's shepherding the church there. Yes. So and that's a great joy. That's a successful ministry, right? Yes, especially when you're waylaid on your sickbed for mm-hmm. months at a time and they send you Facebook messages of all things. These mm-hmm. young men that grew up wearing leaves in a treehouse and then they message you, Bapa, I'm graduating and I'm going back to to uh, lead the church there. Mm. You know, those are those are some of the few unadulterated blessings there without sorrow on this world. And, and you saw some physical victories there as well. You mentioned um, at one time the, need, the the illnesses that we don't experience here are prevalent there. Measles kills people. And you were able to use your medical background. So Trevor was a nurse. His wife was a nurse before they went to Papua. You were able to use your medical background to really step in and provide care and save a lot of people physically as well. Yeah, of course, God is the healer. We don't know who exactly would have died or not, um, but it seemed pretty certain that uh, uh, I would say dozens of people that were headed towards death, uh, we were able to be the instrumental means by which they recovered. And the year before we left, I had a guy grab me, a tribal guy grab me. I thought he was wanting to fight me. <laughs> and he turned me around and he pushed this kid in front of my face. And he says, you remember him? And I I was intimidated. I was like, "What? what's this guy doing? And uh, he says, this is a boy that you helped deliver. My wife almost died and you, you took him and my wife to the town and she recovered and she's living and here's this boy now. Mm. And here he is, and he, he pushed him up in front of my face again. And <laughs> it was abrupt, but it was a blessing nonetheless, you know, giving in typical Korowai abrupt manner. Up front and personal, right? Yes. So, you know, you mentioned taking this wife into town when she was pregnant. Don't get the misconception that Trevor lived in the city and drove into the Korowai tribe every, you know, month or two. You lived among the people there, the treehouse people as they're known, um, yes, that particular trip, the woman had delivered, and because she was so protein deficient, uh, her uh, uterus had prolapsed, mm-hmm. and the people had seen it uh, out of her, and they thought it was the placenta, mm-hmm. so they proceeded to pull on it mm-hmm. to try to pull out the placenta, but they were yanking on her uterus, mm-hmm. and uh the tribal people are black Melanesian, but she was white as a ghost and pale mm. through loss of blood, uh, pretty unresponsive, still in her uh, treehouse tribal wear, uh, grass skirt, matted with blood, uh, topless. When we took her into town, it caused such a stir that the hospital staff stopped and began to take photos with her until an old woman that had been... Uh, treated by Dutch missionaries probably three decades ago, she began to yell at the hospital staff, you know, she's here to be treated. She's not an object to be photoed. Mm. 
and that put the hospital staff in order, and they began to treat her more serious. But um, even for the coastal Papuans, there's a great deal of immigrants from Java and Sumatra as well. Um, this lady was like a museum piece, mm. and that's often how these interior tribes are treated. They're treated with a curiosity. The people from Java will ask, do they still have tails? Um, are they half monkey? Mm. Of this very derogatory terms as if they're not fully human and they're not really given dignity like they deserve. And so a lot of times we would accompany the tribal people to the hospital to make sure they received adequate care. And uh, we um, were pretty sure that our care um, helped her turn around. Mm -hmm. Just being able to put a few bags of IV fluid into somebody like that um, can be the difference between life and death. And you are there in the community daily seeing sick people. You said you bang a pot and pan about 4 o'clock every evening and the sick would come if they could and, and administer basic health care that we take for granted. So there's a lot of physical ministry there. There was spiritual ministry. Obviously, if you're seeing people come to faith, go to Bible school, starting churches, uh, among the people who didn't have that um, prior to your arrival. And then as well, y'all worked with education as well. You, you, you kind of instituted education among these people uh, as well, can you speak just a little bit to that? Yeah, more generally, <clears throat> there's really no way not to do holistic ministry there. And uh, I've been asked many times, and I wish I wasn't, but many people will say, oh, you did health care there so you can gain a hearing for the gospel, or you provided education so that people would then listen to the gospel, right? But no, uh, these are humans. I, we treated them because they were sick. Mm. Um you know, you love your children, you want them to be able to read, and you want them to grow up healthy. We didn't do it. It's not a bait and switch. Um, we didn't do anything to gain a hearing for the gospel. You know, Jesus is very kind to us in many ways. And so to love somebody, you need to love them holistically in all aspects of their life. And so it's very hard to walk by a hut with a sick person to preach in a village church and to leave them there suffering and then to walk home and not stop knowing mm -hmm. that they have inadequate food, that they're malnourished, that they're sick. Um, so it became very natural to extend the ministry to health care and education. And uh, sadly, sometimes people look at those things as distractions. Um, and to tell you the truth, when I got sick, I got, it's kind of like my filter broke. <laughs> and I got very mad at some of the misconceptions or even some of the questions. Um, when I began to found the schools and hire teachers, I had a pastor say, oh, I think you've been distracted by humanitarianism. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, humanitarianism isn't a bad word. Mm -hmm. You know, First and foremost, we want to give the people the gospel, but we also want to give them many other good things as well. We want them to live life more abundantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the salvation of their souls. But, you know, I think the book of James has some things to say about that, right? Mm -hmm. If you say, bless you, but you just leave them in their coldness or their mm. hunger, that's really a, an empty expression, is it not? It is. Yep. And so we saw hunger, we saw sickness on a daily basis. How could we ignore it? Mm. And so our ministry became very holistic. Um, my wife is a nurse. 4 p.m., we would bang on a cooking pot. Usually my kids, they love that, clang, clang, clang. Mm -hmm. People would hear. Those that could walk would come. 
she would often treat the sick till nighttime. Those that were sick in the tree houses, I would put on a backpack full of medicine, full of pills and such as that, and I would begin to hike. And I would hike out to the tree houses to treat them at their location because they were too weak to walk. Mm. And usually, um, if they were very sick, I would take a satellite phone and a GPS, and then you could call in your coordinates, make sure there is a empty space on the creek bed, or you hack out enough area for the heli to land, and then you transport the sick or the wounded to town to a hospital. Or in later years, we would transport them back to Donawage, where there was a functioning clinic uh, that was further staffed after we invited a Indonesian Christian foundation in to help us. Okay. If you know the sound of that music, you know that we are a little over halfway through our time together, and we want to introduce you to a book, and we want to challenge you to read a book, The Autobiography of John Payton. It's a biography of a missionary who did work much like Trevor's done in Papua, Indonesia. He went to the New Hebrides, started from scratch, saw work, begin, came home, continued to fuel that work. If you've not read the autobiography of John Payton, I'd encourage you to pick that up, read it. It'll be well worth your time. It'll be encouragement to you, a challenge to you to live the gospel as an individual, as a family, and as a church as we seek to reach the world with the gospel. So Trevor, you've mentioned the positives of, you know, seeing the gospel go forth produce fruit, one of these young boys, the first young man you baptized, going to Bible college, coming back, shepherding the church there, education being provided, medical care being provided, and caring for the needs of people, and really just living the gospel. The gospel is not only something you say, it definitely is something you say and have to speak, but you also live it. It affects your life. It affects those around you. As you look now, you know, from where you are now, staying on the on the bright side of things, um, as you look at what's going on in Papua now that you've been gone since 2018, what's happening there now? What's going on in your absence? Well, I certainly wouldn't have planned it this way. Um, but when God removed me due to illness, that last Sunday we had 24 baptized believers partake of the Lord's Supper just in Donawagi. And there are baptized believers in the surrounding villages as well. But I was pretty much so sick I could barely walk to the plane to leave. Mm. And uh, I had a lot of anxiety. I pretty much laid in bed for days, worried that everything would fold. I'd seen it from others. The missionary left and the work all just died. Um, but then I began to get Facebook messages of all things from these kids. Bapa, I'm graduating. Mm. Uh, pray for me as I enter Bible school or this or that. Uh, later, I want to be trained to translate the Bible myself. Mm. And so, of all things, through Facebook, I began to get messages from these boys that grew up a tribal existence, and uh, that was a great encouragement as I was sick. And then also, we had teachers and others that had worked with me in the village and knew how life was, because uh, if you haven't lived there, uh, outsiders come in with all these grand plans that never work. Let's plant, let's teach the people to plant rice or do this. And it all falls apart because they don't understand the dynamic of the tribe. But these teachers that have been there, they begin to act on my behalf hmm. and they begin to interview and hire teachers and make plans to expand without me. And uh, it was greater than I had, I could imagine. Um, 
And so the ministry has expanded in my absence. And I suppose that could be discouraging <laughs> and make you feel useless, mm-hmm. but it's very it's a good thing when you realize that you're expendable. We are all disposable. Only God is the main character of this drama, and only he will get the glory, and we're just, what, bit actors, right? Mm. We can be introduced and removed and killed off as he sees fit, right? Mm -hmm. But the play keeps going. But it is very nice to be used by God. Um, I really hated ministration, but I even have somebody in Indonesia that does that for me as well, takes care of the minor details so that I'm free to strategize, um, to think in ways that I could not think while I was hiking the trail every day. When you're hiking the trail, it's one foot in front of the other. You know, I don't want to fall over this route. Mm-hmm. I want to be in the village before nighttime because I don't want to be stuck after dark in the woods. Um, but now I'm at like a 30,000-foot view, a bird's-eye view. And I can see what needs to happen five years from now. Mm. Um, We have a school in the village, but what happens now if they want to go to advanced training, if they want to go to Bible school? So we're building a dormitory out in town. We have a dorm parent ready. We have land given. Um, We can anticipate, oh, we need to coordinate with the government to uh, get more nurses into this area, open a program, a nutritional program here. things such as that Bible translation team prepared. So now I'm able to see strategy more Mm -hmm. before I was at the tactical level or putting out brush fires Mm -hmm. one after another. And so my illness has led to more fruitfulness. God removed me Mm. and then things even happen to a greater degree. Mm. So praise God for that. I think of Second Timothy two two as you're you know describing what's happening in your absence of where Paul told Timothy what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also and yes. it's like he went in with what had been shared with you to share with them now they're sharing it with others and that's that's the that's the gospel method that's right. that's how many how many generations are affected yeah four I think if uh, I counted mm-hmm. right. yeah <laughs> four if I counted right and that's yeah. kind of the that's my picture of success when people ask what's your a definition of success is like if the if someone that I've taught can teach someone else to teach someone else, yes. that's when you've seen success in ministry. You know, <clears throat> it is a healthy thing when you come very close to death. It puts a lot of things into perspective, and I think it puts ministry into perspective as well. In 2011, I almost died from dengue fever, full-on hallucinations, mm-hmm. really trippy, and uh, I had a I. I was just out of my head for a few days and really intentionally everything I did, I would take along a representative from the National Papuan Church, the Evangelical Church of Indonesia, these Highland evangelists, and I would take along a Korowai believer because mm-hmm. I was very afraid that I was just I was just one visa violation or you know, ticking off one official from having my visa yanked mm-hmm. or just one case of malaria away from going home. Mm-hmm. And so we it, it's a lot better to move slow with other people that can carry on the work than to forge ahead alone mm-hmm. and to see it all vanish. Right. And so it was and I believe all too often western missionaries treat poor indigenous pastors as stepbrothers mm-hmm. in Christ mm-hmm. and it's a very paternalistic attitude. 
Um, but very intentionally, I wanted to go as a servant. And I knew my time was limited. I can't eat the foods that these guys, these, these highland evangelists, they go out barefoot mm. and uh, with a net bag, a machete, and a Bible, and maybe some seeds to plant. And uh, a lot of them die. Uh, but those that don't, uh, the first two people that opened my region was a 65-year-old and a 70-year-old pastor. And uh, they were willing to die, and they lived in the jungle, and they were able to build rapport with the people such that uh, they invited us in. And I was actually the second wave into this village. In 2005, they opened the village after Pastor Johannes Erlach was almost shot with arrows three or four times. He lived in a treehouse, uh, cured some people from malaria with his limited knowledge, and they invited him to come back, and he brought me with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just have profound respect for these guys, mm-hmm. and I saw myself as a servant to them instead of the great white father or the paternalistic boss. Right. So as you think about those guys there and what's going on in Papua, what can we pray for them? We're going to wrap up this time. We're going to pick up with uh, – we're going to have Trevor back in, and we're going to talk about some more personal things for him that he's struggled with. But right now, as we wrap up this time, what can we pray for those guys there and what's going on in Papua specifically? Really, my longing is American churches are missionary centered Mm -hmm. instead of people group centered and their focus and their prayers often revolve around the Western missionary. Mm -hmm. If a Western missionary gets sick or dies, you know, it still makes the news, Mm -hmm. but we've had several Papuan evangelists die, and their names will never be in any newspaper. I'm, I'm actually trying to record the, uh, the deaths of some of these men so that they would not be forgotten. Mm-hmm. So when you pray for missions, pray for those indigenous or national uh, partners. Really, in the history of missions, it's those local guys that do the majority of the work. Right. And then the credit is given to the Westerner, even in my case as well. And so I would, I would really desire that you pray for Jimmy and Perrin and women and youth and these Papuan evangelists, Julianus, these, these folks that have come near to death multiple times, that live daily in extreme poverty. Uh, they will hike 12 hours day after day barefoot to take the gospel to these other villages and any physical labor or physical suffering I have endured is slight compared to theirs. Okay. Well, let's pray for them, and we'll wrap up our time together. Thank you, Trevor. God, thank you for Trevor and his work and his family and their ministry there in Papua and, and here as well as they challenge and encourage uh, churches and pastors and people. God, we pray for the work that is there, the schools, the medical work, the, the gospel work, the church, and the evangelist, and we we do recognize that you are using them and that they are as much, if not more, a vessel in your hands uh, to be used of you to advance the gospel message. They may not do it with blog posts like we think we often do, but they do it with their feet and with their mouths and with with their energy and their resources. And God, we pray that you would bless them specifically and that you would protect them, provide for them, that you would bless them and their families and their ministries and that you would give them great fruit for your glory. And God, may 
Uh, if we never hear their names this side of eternity, we pray that you would uh, bless them and honor them. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Where Will You Go? The FBC Tullahoma Missions Podcast. If you have not been by the missions wall, I'd encourage you to go down by the library, check out the missions wall, the five tiers of missions, play with the kiosks, see what you can learn about where we're going, what we're doing, how you can be involved. Pick up that plus one prayer guide. On that prayer guide, you'll see people like Trevor and his family that you can pray for and their work. And we can stay in the loop and pray and give and go and send and spend for the glory of God. Thank you for joining us. Hope to see you next time. God bless.